Well, as we uh, go before the Lord in prayer this morning, I am reminded that Jesus, when he came to the temple, he declared to the people, my house shall be a house of prayer. You have made it a den of thieves. And he went around and he cleansed the temple and he stayed and was questioned by the priest for several days At the end of which time, Jesus turned and he said, See then, your house is left to you desolate. It's not his house anymore. He gave the temple back to them. And his presence, the glory of God, left. But Paul would write to us in 1 Corinthians. He would tell us that the Spirit of God has made a home within us. He said, don't you know that your body is the temple of God? And do you think that your temple has a different requirement than the temple that Jesus came to? For my house, Jesus said, shall be a house of prayer. Devoted to, committed to, willing to persevere. It's interesting because Jesus said that the test of faith in our lives, in a life of a believer, would be persistence in prayer. I'm not make that up. That's Jesus. He said the key to our establishing our faith, building our faith, understanding our faith, is to recognize that He calls us to persistence in prayer. Even if you prayed the same prayer 500 times. The prayer of faith will always pray one more. Jesus said, when I come, will I find faith on the earth? People seeking, knocking, asking, coming before the Lord. We find ourselves in Acts chapter 12. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Acts chapter 12. And we'll take a look at a lost cause for the church in Jerusalem. And we'll see the response of the church. What the church did in response to that lost cause. As she prayed. And she prayed until something happened. As we take a look, Acts chapter 12. We'll pick it up from uh, from verse 6. If you'd read along with me. It says, And when Herod... Was about to bring him out. That night, Peter was sleeping. Bound with two chains between two soldiers. And the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. And light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side. And raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real. But he thought he was seeing a vision. And when they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out, went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. Now when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. 
So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she didn't open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. And she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Now as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for the truth of your word. For the things that your word declares, God, I pray that you would give us eyes and ears, a heart, willing to receive and apply your word, Lord God, that we might receive that which you have for us this morning. God, we pray that you would be glorified in this place. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last time we'll remember that uh, Herod took James, one of the twelve, one of the main three. James, John, and Peter. Those are the three guys Jesus always kept close. One of the top three is taken by Herod, and Herod kills him. Takes off his head. He's so excited about the response of the people that the people really enjoyed the fact that he killed one of the disciples. He arrested Peter. And now we are the night before Peter's execution. In verse 5, we talked about last week, it tells us that the church prayed. They continued earnestly. They fervently prayed came before the Lord and with passion and desire they made their request known. And as we look throughout the chapter, what we discover is they didn't just pray. They didn't have an hour-long prayer meeting. They didn't have a 20-minute prayer meeting. They prayed all day and all night. Because when Peter gets loose, what does he find him doing? Praying, right? Now, I don't know what you're reading in this story, but Peter does not get out at noon. Or in the middle of the day, he gets out late at night or early in the morning. You take your pick. It's a little fuzzy in there, isn't it? Some people, when you say, I stay up late, they mean 8 o'clock. When I say I stayed up late, I mean early in the morning. I might get up at 8 o'clock. Same thing. He's in prison. He's caught. He's gathered in this place. He's facing execution. And the church gathers and prays. And they pray fervently that God would move in might and power. So let's look what happens in verse 6. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Peter's sleeping. 
I have a question for you. How do you think Peter was able to sleep? Well, for example, if you know you're having a super stressful day the next day, like, I don't know, they're going to cut off your head. Do you think you're sleeping that night? Man, sometimes I'm just worried about some little thing and I can't sleep at night. But Peter, he don't have a problem. How come he don't have a problem? What if people are praying? The people are praying. And when we look at the people that are praying for Peter, sometimes I think we think that they're praying for deliverance. I think we think that they're praying that God get him out of prison. I think we think all those things. But look and read the book of Acts. Up to date, there has not been a whole lot of deliverance. Well, you guys remember Stephen? He got stoned, right? He got stoned and, and James... At the beginning of this chapter, he got beheaded. And Jesus, he got crucified. And John the Baptist, well, he got beheaded. I'm not sure they thought that deliverance was a possibility. Now maybe you would say that's lack of faith. I would say probably more lack of vision. But what they are praying for is that he would have peace. That he would be a good witness. That he would be able to accomplish whatever purpose God had for him in that place. I think the reason they weren't asking him to be freed is the astonishment you see later on. I might be astonished that God answered my prayer. But I'll be more astonished that God answered a prayer I didn't pray. I think that they're praying for God to give them strength. And I think we see the answer to those prayers as Peter is standing or laying, sleeping between two Roman soldiers. He's with a quatranium in in Roman uh, squads. It's a four-man squad. He's chained between two Romans. The day before he's to die, uh, what do you think? Do you think the Romans pulled the cot up for him and fluffed his pillow? One arm is chained to one guy, the other arm is chained to the other guy. Sometimes I think we picture this as the Roman soldiers curling up and the three guys spooning and just being comfortable all night. But that's not happening. Okay, the two Roman soldiers are doing about, it's anywhere from a three to a four hour watch. And if they fall asleep, they get killed. So they're not sleeping. They're standing there. And they're probably not very happy. I don't know if any of you guys did any time in the military, but guard duty is the one place to meet the meanest people on the face of the earth. Because nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to be there. The night before Peter is put to death, and before he fell asleep, what do you think? He just sat there, looked at him, asked the, asked the Roman soul, guys, how, what do you think about the Caesar? No. What's Peter doing? Preaching. He's preaching to them. You guys got to suffer through a whole near hour with me. He had them for four. I see some of the looks you guys get on your eyes and I go over time. Imagine them guys. Oh, you got to be kidding me. I'm chained to this guy and he won't stop talking. The best news was when he finally went to sleep. Those two Roman soldiers are standing beside him, guarding him, and Peter lays down on the ground. 
I don't know if this happens to you, but if you lay me on my back, I am going to snore and rip the paint clean off the walls. So Peter is on his back, snoring. I'm sure every once in a while one of them Roman guys kicks him in the side. But he's just snoring away. And he's got his arms stuck up in the air like this, because they're chained to the two guys that are standing up there. And they're not about to make sure he's any more comfortable than he needs to be, are they? So he's laying there like that, just sleeping like a baby. And back at, the, at this home, the church is gathered together, and they're praying. They're praying that he is strengthened. They're praying that God watches over him. And they're praying that God's everything that he needs him to be. And Peter, he's experiencing the peace that surpasses all understanding. Do you have that peace in your life? Do you have the peace that lets you sleep like that? You go home and worry and regret and fret. Or do you have the peace? We want that. Where do we get it? Get it in prayer. Same place that Peter had it. But look what happens next. Peter's laying there, his arms up. He's snoring. He's sleeping like crazy. In verse 7 it says, Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and light shone in a prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise, quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Well, sometimes I think when, when we read this story, you guys all picture them soldiers like they're sleeping there. The soldiers are not sleeping. Part one. Sometimes we picture it and we think the angel is tiptoeing in because he doesn't want to wake up the soldiers who are sleeping there. I don't know, even in a stupor, I would recognize rather quickly what was going on around me. However, if you put those two Roman soldiers standing there, and my arms chained to them, and all of a sudden the whole prison, which was really dark, fills up with light, and the angel kicks me in the side, and he says, get up. And I get up, and the chains fall off my wrist, and I look over here, and there's a Roman soldier standing there. And I look over here, and there's a Roman soldier standing there. And I put my hand in front of his face, and he's just standing there, guarding. I would think... It's a dream. This is a dream. It's one of those cool dreams that you don't want to wake up from. But it's a dream. He's thinking, I'm going to die tomorrow, but this is pretty cool. This dream I'm having. Chains fall off his arms. The angels standing there right before him. The guards standing to the side. It says the chains just fell off his hands. So they're still hanging down from the guys who are standing there with their chains, the Roman soldiers. But they fell off of, of Peter. And it says, the angel said to him, gird yourself up, tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said to him, put on your garment and follow me. He said, gird up yourself. Oh, in those days, they all wore these long robe skirt things. And if you ever try to run in a dress, you would realize that that's a difficult process. So the angel told him, gird it up. Whenever you read in the Bible, I'm not kidding. Whenever you read in the Bible, gird up your loins. That's what they're talking about. Hike up your dress. They'd pull up the skirt and they'd tie it up high so that they could run. So he says, gird up yourself. So he girds himself up. Put on your sandals. So he puts on his sandals, straps his sandals on. He's pretty tired. They're not guaranteed that they're on the right feet. But it doesn't matter. It's a dream. So he puts his sandals on and then he says, 
Throw on your garment. So he puts on his outer garment. All the while, there's two soldiers standing there not seeing anything. Oh, Jackie, you're crazy. That's not what it says. You better read it again. There's two Roman soldiers standing there while Peter is getting unhooked from the chains and this angel is prodding them along. Come on, Peter, let's go, brother, get up. So he's up, he girds, he throws his robe on, he throws, he's got himself all girded up. Scripture tells us, and when he went out and followed him, he did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Now, considering the fact that Roman soldiers get killed for falling asleep, I'm pretty sure they're not sleeping. I'm pretty sure every guy they walk by is wide awake. And I'm pretty sure all the way along, every step of the journey, Peter is tripping out more about this amazing dream that he's having. He's like, oh man, this is crazy. Like I could just walk out of here. Like these guys would just not see me and I could just go and... So he's just following the angel. He's following the angel, enjoying the dream, enjoying what that dream means. Man, this is kind of a cool evening for him. He Let this dream continue, man. I want to continue to dream. I want to continue to see all this. And when they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to an iron gate that leads out of the city, which opened to them of its own accord. Now, for you and I, that's not so shocking, right? Like when you go to Ridley's and you walk up, the door just opens before you. But in Peter's time, doors didn't do that. In Peter's time, he didn't walk up to the gate. Nobody had an electric motor, you know, where you could walk up to the gate and hit the remote control and the gate would open up. He said, no, that gate opened up all by itself. The gate just opened. They walk out onto the street. Look what else happens. They come out onto the street. And it says, they went out and went down one street. And immediately the angel departed from him. Angel's gone. And then, you have the Bible say, when Peter came to himself, that means he starts to realize, that was real. I'm outside. I'm in the street. He's blown away. Look what it says. Now I know for certain that the Lord sent his angel and delivered me from the hand of Herod. It's almost like he's saying, God was in this place and I didn't know it. That reminds me of another guy. There was this fella, Jacob. And Jacob was most known for his ability to manipulate a situation so that he would come out on top. And in the midst of all of his manipulation, as a deceiver, as a manipulator, he ends up having to flee from his father's house. And he finds himself out in the middle of the desert. And as he's out in the middle of the desert, Scripture tells us he's miserable. He's homesick. He doesn't know where he's going. He's overwhelmed with loneliness. He's pretty sure God's left him. And that he has nothing left. In fact, he's so miserable, he lays down in the middle of the desert and uses a stone for a pillow. And he goes to sleep. And when he falls asleep, the scripture tells us that he saw a ladder from heaven to earth 
right where he was, and angels going up and down that ladder. He, we call it Jacob's ladder, right? They, they saw, he saw Jacob's ladder. Angels going up and down on this ladder. What's he recognizing is here I am in the middle of the desert, totally alone, nobody around, nobody here, but God gives him a vision of angels going up to heaven and down to earth on his behalf, right where he's at. As he sleeps. What does the Bible say about angels? The Bible says that angels are ministering spirits, right? Ministering spirits sent forth to minister. And when Jacob woke up, listen to what he said. Surely God was in this place and I knew it not. And so he named that place. He took oil and he anointed the stone that was his pillow. And he named that place Bethel, the house of God. God was here. You ever find yourself someplace and you're, you're, you feel like you're all alone? You feel like nobody knows how miserable I am or what's happening and... And we can despair in that place. And we can think there's nobody listening. And there's no God to hear us. And we neglect the one tool that we have as believers that connects us to the God of the universe. But He is there. Jesus, in John chapter 1, verse 51, He said, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven opened. And the angels of God ascending and descending on what? On the Son of Man. Jacob saw a ladder. And the ladder was that which brought angels to earth or brought angels from earth to heaven. Jesus said in John chapter 1 verse 51 that he's the ladder. That he's the one who sends forth the ministering spirits. The angels who come down and kick us in the ribs and take us out of prison. He's the one that, that directs that power, that, that majesty. He said, I'm the ladder, I'm, I'm the highway. The highway between heaven and earth. Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 1.14. Angels are all ministering spirits. Sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 12 goes on to say, chapter 12, verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men. To the spirits of just men made perfect. Man, the angels that God has at his disposal. He could send at any time. In any place. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 tells us that our citizenship is not on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. Where we eagerly wait the Savior, eagerly awaiting Him, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a citizen of heaven, 
then all the movement and communication between heaven and earth on our behalf, the Lord Jesus Christ is doing. The scripture lays out for us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. That he never loses sight of us. That he never stops watching us. That he never quits praying for us. Jesus Christ knows right where you are. And we sing songs all the time and we try to to abdicate ourselves from any responsibility in every situation. And we say things like, God is able. God is able. And we are not quoting the entire scripture. The Bible says that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. In us. Ray Steadman, he, he's a, a guy who wrote several uh, uh, different commentaries. I, I, I like him. But listen to what he said. He said, as a result of their intercession, God was free to act in an unusual and remarkable way. God has already indicated that the evidence of our faith is seen in our persistence in prayer. Then when we are persistent in prayer, it is providing God that opportunity, the willingness to say, watch, now I can do something. Now I can move. Now I can accomplish something. And sometimes he does the amazing. Sometimes he does the miraculous. He just asks us to persist. So... Do you realize that it's always too soon to quit? You can't... What happens? You give up. It just stops. What if you stopped one prayer too soon? Persistence shows our faith. And our faith, that's that thing that... by which we can please God. The Bible says... Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The scripture lays out in the Psalms that he always hears those who live their life to please him. And if we're going to please him, we please him with faith. And if we're going to have faith, we have to persist in prayer. But God's house gets silent. And we hope some miraculous event to take place, but we don't want to be a part. We don't want to come before the Lord. We don't want to declare like Peter right here. This place that Peter's in is Bethel, the house of God. And he didn't even know it. God sent his angel to deliver him. To deliver him. He's sitting there and he's He's realizing, now I want you to picture it. There he is in, in, the, in the middle of the street, just down from the Antonio Fortress, which is where he was in prison. So he comes out of the Antonio Fortress. He's only made a couple of turns. The street is very compact, or the city is very compact there. So they come out of the Antonio Fortress, make a couple of turns, and the angel's gone, and Peter stops, and he's just blown away. Wow, I'm outside the prison. I, I'm loose. I'm free. And then... For there's a moment where you have this excitement, right? Like, woohoo, I'm free. And then there's a moment that you have, 
I'm in the middle of the street. Sooner or later, those Roman soldiers are going to look down and say, where's that guy that was just laying down there? Somebody's going to start looking for me, and I'm in the middle of the street, about a block away from prison. That's probably not a great place to hang out. And I'm going to assume most of you guys have not had a lot of experience escaping from prison. So you may not be aware of those things, but you usually are trying to find some place to hide. Get out of the way. Get someplace safe. So look what happens. Then it says, so when he had considered this. Do you guys know when you read your Bible, it's kind of, it's kind of a wild thing, but the Bible makes things sometimes, what's a good way to say it? Sometimes it really makes it very sterile. And when he had considered this. No, what that word means in the Greek is as he weighed all these things. I'm free. I'm in the middle of the street. The soldiers are going to wake up. Uh, they're going to start looking for me at any minute. He's run all of that stuff has gone through his mind. He's considering everything that has happened, everything that is going on. And as he considers all that stuff, he decides he needs to find some place to go. And he looks where he's at and he realizes he's not that far from Mary's house. Now Mary was the mother of John Mark. That's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. The guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark wrote Mark based on one of Peter's sermons. The guy who wrote Mark, and so Mark carries the name Mark. His first name was John. Uh, So this is the same John Mark. He got saved listening to Peter preach. So Peter preached, John Mark got saved, wrote the Gospel of Mark. That's the guy that he's sitting here in the middle of the street. And he said when he had considered this, he decided to go to his house. So he goes to Mary's house. Look, the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was, was Mark, where many were gathered together doing what? Praying. They were praying. They were praying. They, they didn't just say a prayer. They, they took time to pray. Out on the table, maybe several of you guys aren't aware of it. Out on that table, right out there, there's a piece of, of like legal size paper that has divided the week into 168 hours. And our goal, four years ago, was to cover every hour of every day, of every week, of every year, with somebody praying. And I think at the last count, we were almost 80 short. Is that right? Maybe a little bit less. So that meant at least that many hours uncovered. Man, you're just trying to get off of this every time I turn around. At least that many hours uncovered. I don't know. What kind of difference does that make? No difference? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we won't know. Yesterday, a fellow went out just to do a regular day's event. 
he gone out and separated cattle probably a thousand times. Probably roped hundreds, maybe even thousands. His family was pretty unconcerned about it, just another day at the office. His wife was visiting family in Boise. He roped the cattle, roped a, a calf, and something weird happened with the rope, and the rope went across the, the horse's tail somehow, the horse bucked, and he just landed wrong. And a father of four passed into eternity just like that. I don't know, it makes a difference. I just know God tells his people to pray. What happens when his people do that? Hey, does that mean there's not ever going to be tragedy like that? No, man, there's going to be tragedy. But we'll be prepared. We'll be prepared to minister. We'll be prepared to touch. Be prepared to see God move in amazing ways. We want to see God do the impossible. We want to see a lost cause. That's a lost cause. You know another lost cause? How about Saeed? You guys thought of Saeed? Can't read Acts chapter 12 without thinking of Saeed. Saeed, you know, his wife lives up in Boise. Her name's Nagme. Saeed used to live up there too. He's out in Iran visiting family, hoping to be able to do something with an orphanage. Gets arrested. And thrown into prison for nothing other than the fact that he is a Christian. Now the church in Acts chapter 12, they didn't have a congressman to write to. And they didn't have all this other stuff to hope for. So they just did what they could. What was that? They prayed. And you know, without the secretary of state, or the president, or the vice president, or anybody else, Peter got out didn't he now i'm not saying we shouldn't call and we shouldn't pester and we shouldn't do whatever we can do but the one thing's for certain the one thing that we should not neglect is the prayer is the prayer because the prayer is what's going to change things prayer is what's going to see god move well, look what happens. He's going to go to their house. And so, so Peter went and knocked at the door of the gate. And a girl named Rhoda came to answer. Rhoda means Rose. Her name was Rose. And so Peter bangs on the gate. It says, and she recognized Peter's voice because of her gladness. She didn't open the gate, but she ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. I want you to picture what that means. Peter, who just come to the realization, he's in the middle of the road, and at any minute, somebody's going to sound the alarm in the prison, and people are going to start running through the town looking for him. He's standing in the middle of the road, banging on the gate. The gate that leads into, at least in his mind, some semblance of safety, so he's not in the middle of the road. He bangs on the gate, and here comes this little girl named Rose. Now, we don't know anything more about her, but her name is Rose, and she's young. And she runs out, and she hears him. She doesn't see him. She hears him and recognizes that that's Peter. And she gets excited. Peter's here. Peter's here. And she turns around and runs back in the house. 
Now put yourself in Peter's shoes. He's thinking, I'm going to be the first guy delivered by an angel and recaptured all in the same night. <laughs> he's banging and kicking on the gate. He's, he's rattling the gate. But little Rose, she ran back in the house. And look what it says. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Doesn't that sound? Just a little. Well, the, the English kind of sterilizes the. The, the, the Greek. What they're saying is, you are outside your head. Peter is not out there. There's no way Peter is out there. He's not here. He's in prison. They're going to lop off his head any minute. In fact, they may have already done it. She interrupts the prayer meeting. They're probably irritated. Why are you interrupting? We're trying to pray. We're praying for a brother who's in prison. But Peter's at the door. No, Peter's not at the door. He's in prison. You're not hearing me? And we're trying to pray, and it's important that we pray. So would you please let us pray? And she would not take no for an answer. So she says, no, I'm telling you, Peter's at the gate. And then they have a realization. It's his angel. You know what that little phrase means? It means they had realized he was dead. See, they had this concept in their minds, legends that they had developed, that said when someone died, their guardian angel would appear before they passed on to the next life. So seeing his guardian angel would mean that they've just killed them. So they think that they just killed Peter in prison, and she has seen his guardian angel. They're sure... They're sure. There's no way you saw it. It's got to be his angel. Look, the scripture lays it out for us. But look what happens back in verse 16. Now Peter continued knocking. Well, Peter is not going down without a fight. I'm going to get into this house. One way or the other. So he's banging on the gate. That phrase, continued knocking. It does not mean that he stood there, you know. Someone please let me in. Because we all know Peter, the most holy and first pope, would not shake that gate and be screaming at the top of his lungs, Somebody let me in! He's carrying on such a ruckus that they come to the door. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Why were they astonished? They were astonished because they were sure he was dead. They were astonished because they were praying that he'd be strong. They were astonished because they wanted to see him bring people to salvation as a result of, of where he was. They were astonished because in their wildest dreams, in their wildest dreams, they did not think that he would get loose. But there he is. Now, I also want you to picture this. You have Peter, whose sole desire is to get into the house. You have the people from the prayer meeting who just came out and see Peter in the street. So they start to have a little revival right there. They see him. They're excited. Look, in the, next, the next verse 17 says, but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent. They're in the middle of the street, early in the morning. Peter just broke out of prison. He's probably more than a few blocks away now, maybe, maybe almost half a mile away from where the prison is, which, by the way, would still be too close. And so he's finally got their attention. They finally open it, and now everybody's going, Peter, 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 hey, Peter's here. Guys, look, 
Peter's here. And Peter's with his hands. He's going, shh. That's what it says. Keep it down. I just got out of prison. Let's go inside. That's what's happening. When you read your Bible, be careful to slow down enough to catch the story. Otherwise, you look at it and you go, so. Uh, it gets. It, ah. Anyways, you know what I mean. So. He motions to them with his hand. Keep silent. So he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. So So they go inside. He says, you're not going to believe this. Those soldiers are still standing there. With the chains hanging off of their arms. And I just walked by. They didn't even see me. This is the craziest thing he'd ever heard in his life. He was excited to see what God had done. And so it said, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren. Now that's not the James who just died. That's a different James. That is another lost cause. That James was the brother of Jesus. No, come on. If you're the brother of Jesus, you were holy just like him, right? I mean, you saw Jesus walking around and I'm sure you never heard from your ma. Why can't you be more like Jesus? You know, he's not ever talked back to me. But you're always talking back. Here's what we know about James. Two guys, two brothers that we know about Jesus. Jude and James. They both wrote books that are in the Bible. The book of James is written by James, the brother of Jesus. And the book of Jude, written by Jude, the brother of Jesus. The other thing that we know is they never believed a word Jesus said. The whole time he was on earth, preaching and teaching, they didn't believe him. In fact, at one point, his brothers came and got his mom. And they gathered up their, their mom and they said, we got to go get Jesus. He's walking around telling everybody he's the Christ. He is crazy. So we got to go get him. So Jesus is out teaching, and so they go and they, they, they tell the disciples, hey, go tell Jesus we're here. So they go to Jesus, say, Jesus, your, your mother and your brothers are here. And he said, who are my mother and brothers? But he who does the will of my father, that's my mother and my brother and my sister. They never believed Until the resurrection. And when Jesus rose from the dead, it kind of took all the arguing at family dinner out. It's like, yeah, you're the Christ. You're the one we've been looking for. James, at this point, becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The brother of Jesus. He becomes the leader of the church in Jerusalem. The apostles, the twelve, they're scattering all over the place. They're going out on missionary journeys and telling people about all that the Lord laid on their heart. Right? God gave them a commission. You remember the commission? Go into all the world, make disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things which I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you to the ends of the earth. That was what Jesus told them to do, and that's what they're doing. But James, Jesus' brother, he becomes the rock at Jerusalem. And so Peter says, go tell, go tell James. Make sure he knows. What's that mean? Where was James? 
Look, the church was so big in Jerusalem, it wouldn't fit in a house. So a lot of times people will go around and they'll say, why can't we go back to the book of Acts when the church just met in the house? They're not reading the Bible. The church was so big in Jerusalem, they used to meet at the temple. They would gather at the temple for teaching and worship. And then they would gather in the homes for prayer. So when Peter says, go and find James, where do you think they were? They were in another house, somewhere down the street or over on the other side of town at a prayer meeting. And the other part of the church was over there praying. And another part of the church was over there praying. How many people were in the church? Well, 3,000 got saved on the first day and 5,000 a few days later. So do the math. That's a lot of people, right? So they're gathering around and praying. So Peter says, go tell them. Go tell them what's going on. And so they go and they they would spread the word. They'd spread the word of what God had done, how God had delivered. This story, Acts chapter 12, becomes one of the favorites in all the church. Every church knew this story. Because it radically changed a lot of things about how they prayed. And now... Now they understood that not only should they pray for strength, and not only should they pray that God would would equip and give peace, but they should pray that God would deliver. Because sometimes, sometimes, he sends his angel into the middle of the prison to let him go. Now you watch. God's going to do the same thing with Saeed. And he get loose. He will never spend eternity in heaven prison. I don't care what they do. One day, he will hear from his Savior that there will be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness. But that promise isn't for us here. That promise is for us when? With Jesus, right? Face to face with him. Here there are tears, aren't there? Here there is pain. Here there is worry. And so what should we be doing since we're still here? Praying. Praying for strength. Praying for power. Praying for deliverance. Praying for healing. Praying that God would do all the things that God's word declares that he will do. Well, the story wouldn't be complete if we didn't find out what happened to the soldiers, right? So we we come back to them in verse 18. Then as soon as it was day... There was no small stir among the soldiers. You guys see what I'm saying? Don't read that like there there was no small stir. They were freaking out. What are you thinking? There's two soldiers chained to a guy. Just just picture it. Two soldiers. There's a guy in chains hanging, standing there with their spears. They're inside a cell with a locked door with two guards. Inside another cell with a locked door with two guards. So all those guards are still standing there. And the next morning, the, the next shift comes. And they come to the first one and relieve those guys. And they come to the second one and relieve those guys. And then they come in and they ask these guys, where's Peter? <laughs> Man, I can only imagine what that was like. They have got to be... There was no small stir. They are freaking out. Why are they freaking out? Because the escaped prisoner, they get his punishment. 
So them soldiers get killed. But you know, God's so cool because even with that, did they die without a witness? No. They were chained to Peter. And Peter would spend that night until he finally fell asleep telling them, Man, you would not believe what it is like to serve the true and risen King, Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you what he did in my life. Let me tell you how I denied him, but how later on he came back to me. You don't think Peter told that whole story while he's sitting there chained between these guys? And you don't think those two guys, maybe when they heard what Peter had to say, maybe they said, yeah, 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 but look where you are, dude. And maybe, just maybe, when those roles were reversed, they could hear that word echoing in their head again. And maybe, just maybe, that was the only way God could reach those two guys. And maybe they still paid with their life. But if they came to faith in that moment, the next thing they heard was that there is no more tears or pain or sorrow. And they got to see the truth right there at that moment. You, you don't think God loved them guards enough to have Peter chained to him? You know, God told Peter in John 21 that he was going to die an old man. And Peter probably wasn't an old man yet. You know, Jesus said to to Peter, when you're old, they're going to put you someplace you don't want to go. You remember? And the scripture says, Jesus said this about the way in which he was going to die. And then Peter looked at John and said, but Lord, what about him? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. You follow me. Listen, God put Peter there. I don't know why. Maybe a lot of different reasons. But I guarantee part of the reason God allowed Peter to be in that prison was so that he could share with those two guards. So when that moment of panic was over and they're headed to the, to the noose, they're headed to the, to the axe man that's going to take their heads, they have an opportunity to have just heard the gospel not that long ago and a chance to simply say the words, I believe. Or maybe they always thought they'd have more time. They didn't have as much time as they thought. So my brother, Saeed, in Evan Prison. Last word that came out about Saeed in Evan Prison is this. One of his guards got saved. They are currently, they have been able to smuggle in Bibles... And there is a Bible study happening in arguably the worst prison on the face of the earth. Because Saeed is in prison. Now, I want Saeed out. I want Saeed free. I want him with his kids. So what's my role? Pray. That's my job. Have you been doing your job? What happens when God's people pray? God feels free 
to show his people his power. Hey? So, we pray. Don't lose faith. Remember what Jesus said. Men ought always to pray and never lose heart. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for this time. We can come before you, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to seek your face. We thank you, Lord, for your word, the truth of your word, and all the things that your word declares. Lord, we pray that you would move in our midst, God, that you would teach your people to pray, to be a people of prayer, to be a people who want to seek your face, to know, Lord, that you have an amazing plan that is being revealed, but you want to move through us. You could do it without us, but you won't. You want us to be a part. For our God is able to do abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to the power that is in us. So God, I pray that we, your people, who are corporately and individually the temple of God, would hear the words of Jesus when he said, My house is a house of prayer. And we would pray. And we wouldn't stress out about what we say or how we say it. Because your word declares that the Holy Spirit will fix our prayers if they're messed up. And your word declares that you, Lord Jesus, are living ever to make intercession for us. You are praying for us. God, I just pray that we would be obedient and faithful enough to let our lives be a life of prayer. We can be passionate about so many things. We can be passionate about sports or hunting or hiking or I don't know, anything. I pray you would make your people passionate about prayer. Passionate about talking with you. Passionate about being with you. God, I pray that you would move in this place, Lord, as we seek to honor and glorify you in all we do. We lay this opportunity before you. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name, amen.